let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another day, another Tuesday evening, where we have the opportunity to continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. What we are here about now from one day to the next is just going through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians verse by verse. And I think this evening we are at verse 6, right? We are in verse 6, and so we will treat verse 6 and beyond. But before we get into Paul's epistle, I did just want to continue to invite you to send me your questions. Again, as we've changed our formatting from what we were doing with the book Revelation, I now have set aside Thursday to focus in on your questions. It's special topic Thursday, tailored to your questions. So just continue to send me your questions. And this doesn't have to be an apologetic question, right? This can be a question about any aspect of the Catholic faith. It can be uh, church history, it can be canon law, it can be whatever you want it to be. I am setting aside Thursday to meet you where you're at, so please don't hesitate to send me your question. And if you are listening to this program by way of podcast outside of the country, outside of the United States of America, I am especially including you in that invitation, right? Just because you live in another country, just because you live maybe on the other side of the globe, that doesn't mean you are not a part of Seeds of Truth. And point of fact, I would lean into putting you into the front of the line because, quite honestly, getting your questions um, are of the highest value because what I want our listening audience to appreciate is the universality of our faith. So, again, don't hesitate. Send your questions to me. As always, you can contact me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, that is spelled J-O-E-H-O-L-L-C-R-A-F-T dot org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your question on its way. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? We are just in uh, the second week of this study, so we are in verse 6. And for context, what I will be doing throughout this study is giving you uh, some verses before and after, okay? So we will go ahead and even read some verses that we've already read so as to appreciate uh, essentially the, the spiritual thrust of what Paul is after. And we'll start with verse 4. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him with all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So how about verse 6 there? That'll be our point of focus, at least initially this evening. Even as the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you. Now this phrase, the testimony to Christ was confirmed among you, what is the meaning of that? Well, the testimony of Christ has at least two 
levels of meaning. At a foundational level, it refers to the testimony that Jesus gave to God's love by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Remember that the word testimony comes from the Greek martyrion. This, of course, is closely associated with witness, right? Because the word witness in the Greek is martyria. So to give testimony is to witness, okay? So the word martyr is derived from, in this case, the word testimony. But here it also refers more specifically to the testimony to Christ that Paul bore in his initial preaching of that message to the Corinthians, right? Which was followed by confirming signs. Now, in those two different meanings, you essentially have a link, and that is the sign. Why? Because our testimony (laughs) is about being a sign. Think about a sign. Maybe you're thinking about a stoplight, or maybe you're thinking about a stop sign. When you come to a stoplight, you read the sign, right? If it's red, you stop. If it's green, you go. If it's, if it's yellowish orange, right, you slow down. Or a stop sign. When you see a stop sign, what does that mean? Well, you stop. You look at a sign, and it communicates something to you. And consequently, you respond to what it communicates to you. Now, the same thing is going on in the spiritual life. We are signs of God's love to the extent that we witness to God's love, to the extent that we bear testimony to God's love, right? Everything we do, in point of fact, is a sign that communicates something. Essentially, a a sign is something that signifies or points to something else, okay? Well, if we are living out the Christian faith, we are signs that point to Christ. There isn't any one thing that we do that isn't a sign of something, right? Every act for St. Ignatius of Loyola either points to God or points to the adversary, right? We are either moving towards God or away from God. This, of course, falls within the context of what you feed grows. There is never a time where a plant, for example, is not either dying or growing. In the spiritual life, it is the same. We are either in the camp of Christ, moving towards Christ, closer to Christ, or in the camp of the adversary, in the camp of Satan, moving towards him. This is all hinged to whether or not we are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? And this isn't anything that already isn't said in sacred scripture and Paul's epistles. So everything we do points to something. Now, what we have to do in the Christian life is do a self-examine, that spiritual exercise that we talked about yesterday evening, right, where we look back into our day and look at the pros and cons of our day, maybe the right that we did and ask ourselves the question, okay, how can I build upon that? Or maybe look at the negative and say, okay, how can I correct that? Because brothers and sisters, we are vested with the flesh and we are sinners. There is always going to be a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. And so we seek to close that gap. We live in that gap, if you will, conforming ourselves to Jesus Christ so that we might better understand ways in which we can live out our personal relationship with Jesus Christ mindful that everything we do is a sign. Does this not bring us back to our discussion on the sacramentality of the body, right? You know if I am happy because what will you see? A smile, maybe laughter. You know if I am sad sad because what will you see? A frown or maybe tears. You know if I am embarrassed or not. Why? Because what will you see? Red cheeks, There is a sacramentality to our bodies, and consequently, our bodies 
as sacraments are signs that point to something else. And in the spiritual life, we are constantly communicating something. And in the light of these verses, what we are made to be present to is the importance of the word testimony. Do our acts bear testimony to the one person of Jesus Christ? And what we do, do we reflect the person of Jesus Christ? There's something about holiness that just draws you in. You want to be around a person who is joy-filled. You want to be around a person who is life-giving. You want to be around a person who is a person of integrity. So we look at that. Now, in the end, merciful love dictates that we go where people don't go, right? But you get my point. We are called to be holy. Signs, sacraments of God's love, if you will. And in so many ways, uh, this is what Paul is talking about here. Earlier, I mentioned how the testimony of Jesus Christ speaks to the cross. So what is the greatest sign we could give the world but to lay our life down for Jesus Christ? It was Tertullian who once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the faith, because when the faithful Christian laid his life down for his faith, did the church sprout new life? And so it is today, we need to be willing to lay our lives down for Jesus Christ. We do so each and every day when we donate our life to God in our, in our vocational living. But one day, he might ask us to give our whole life to God in a very dramatic yes. That's, that's in God's hands, huh? Benedict XVI said, the one lasting proof that God exists is the one who lays his life down for Jesus Christ. So amen to that. Now, what else can we say to these verses? Well, the outburst of praise and inspired speech and probably other signs that followed their conversion and acceptance of Jesus Christ was a surprising visitation of the Holy Spirit, right? Which empowered them in ways they never before experienced. Thus, they are, as Paul would put it, not lacking in any spiritual gift. And here, the two references to the abundance of gifts frame in so many ways the, the testimony of Christ I was just speaking to in verse 6, showing the important relation between the gifts and faith in the message about Jesus Christ. And that relation was twofold. They experienced the gifts because they believed in the message, and the gifts gave visible manifestation of the nature of the message this amazing new life. Does that not, of course, speak to what we were just saying? It's interesting, the emphasis that Paul will put on faith throughout this epistle and both epistles to the church of Corinth. And certainly we, we are going to talk about faith a great deal. But here, when you talk about testimony, we should be mindful of our Lord's own words. Huh? Your faith has saved you. How many times do we read in the Gospels, faith saving? Faith is salvific. So we have to always have that in a rearview mirror. Yes, the greatest of the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love is love, because essentially the very life of God and the very life of heaven constitutes love. But don't let for a second that undermine faith. Why? Because faith saves to the degree that we believe in something is to the degree that we will follow through with it in conviction, right? So faith is very important. How about the word gift here in verse 7? 
The word gift is in the Greek charisma, referring not to the grace necessarily that saves, but more specifically here to the charisms. Okay, we will talk much more about this when we get to chapters 12 and 14 as Paul lays out the charismatic gifts. But it is important to note here because ultimately we can overlook the importance of what Paul is doing. He is laying a foundation, and that foundation is him communicating the importance of, in this case, the charismatic gifts. Now, after capturing, if you will, the goodwill of his readers, Paul will soon show how the abundance of these gifts, these spiritual gifts, these charismatic gifts, contrasts sharply with the abundance of charity in the community. By adding, as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul subtly hints that the Corinthians have not arrived at their perfection. What was I just talking about? This gap between who we are and this person that God is calling us to be. So what Paul is wanting to communicate to the church of Corinthians is that the abundance of spiritual gifts in the community does not mean that the day of the Lord is already here. On the contrary, (laughs) he wants the church of Corinth, and certainly us as well, of course, to see that the consummation of the kingdom is still to come and that there is much more to be done for their own spiritual growth in the meantime. But it will be more the work of the Lord than their own efforts. And is that not the heart of it? I just spoke about the importance of faith, never undermining love, but let's speak to love and and why love is that one virtue that will always remain. It will always remain because God is love, and that ultimately, again, the very life of heaven is about love. But there's something else for us to appreciate here. If we are going to bring heaven down here on earth, how are we going to do that but to live in God's love? And how do we live in God's love? Well, by allowing God's love to invade our souls. If you want more of God's love, what do you do? Well, you give it away. What do you mean, Joe? You give it away. How do you possess something if you're giving away? Well, that's the paradox of God's love. You never really possess God's love, so to speak, as we think about possession today. No, because God's love is other-centered. It's constantly giving itself away. This is what is revealed on the cross. God's love pours itself out and ultimately does so for the sake of other. So as St. Thomas Aquinas defines love as to will the good of the other for the sake of other, we are mindful that in the end, love is about the self-gift. And the more we give of ourselves, the more room we will continue to make for God's love in our very lives. You want more of joy? Give joy away. You want more of God's mercy? Give God's mercy away. You want more of anything in the life of God, we'll give it away because God's very identity is about self-gift. And so this, again, while it being one of the great paradoxes of our faith, is front and center. What does St. Thomas Aquinas say? Our good acts is simply God crowning his own gifts, right? All right. How about this? He will keep you firm to the end, irreproachable on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The translation, he will keep you firm, could suggest here that the grace is merely one of perseverance, but the Greek verb can also be translated, he will strengthen you, which suggests that they have weaknesses that the risen Lord will progressively replace with his strength. 
Paul's positive belief in this joyful outcome certainly rests in the fact that God is what? Faithful. A belief certainly Paul reminds us of time and time again. So this language, he will keep you firm. Is this not another one of Paul's great themes? How many times does he say, I boast of my weakness because it is in my weakness that God is strongest? Well, what did I just talk about as it relates to God's love? If we are pouring ourselves out, then we are making more room for God. And when we make more room for God, we are making more room for what? But his grace, which strengthens us. And let's be real here, folks. There are a lot of things that we encounter in our everyday life that are very, very difficult. If it's not something at work, it might be a personal relationship. There are those things in our lives where we just say, you want to know, I don't want to deal with this today. What God is saying to us is quite simply, whatever that one thing is that you don't want to deal with is the very thing that you need to deal with. But here's the snag. When you say it's impossible, you're right. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. With God, it's not only possible, it's a vocation. It's a vocation because, as St. Therese of Lisieux reminds us, our vocation is to love. And we can only love in the light of everything we have just said if we enter into our weakness. It doesn't mean that we solve these problems without knowledge of Jesus Christ or in some passive way. But what it does mean is that we put Jesus Christ before us. We put the thou before the I, and in doing so, we realize that this is an I-thou moment. It can't be done otherwise. We have this tendency to want to go back into the past and fix our mistakes so we don't have to deal with the present. But the reality is, for one reason or another, and ultimately this is one of God's greatest mysteries, that past has happened for a reason. It has brought you to this moment. And this moment is what God calls you into, to sanctify that moment. And so this is what we do. And when this moment or that moment that we are having to deal with today is that one thing we we don't want to deal with, well, we have to be mindful of what Paul is saying here and his message to the church of Corinth, a message that should reverberate to all of us. Essentially, persevere in the race. Be mindful that over time you will become strong in Christ and you will be able to do all those things that you never uh, dreamed of being able to do, especially in the context of broken relationships. Especially in the context of broken relationships. All right, how about this verse? You were called to fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's an interesting Greek term for fellowship. We can spend, gosh, a lot of time on this term, and it's, it's kononia. Fellowship in the Greek is kononia, which is sometimes rendered as union, uh, communion, uh, or community. Let us appreciate the word communion, right? Communion means what? That you are in union with someone, right? Com coming from the Latin cum, which means with. You are in union with God, with Jesus Christ. So, the climax of Paul's thanksgiving is that through Paul's ministry and his faith, and essentially their faith, that is the, the community of believers, God has called the Christians in Corinth to be one with his Son, which gives them the right to be called what? 
sons and daughters of God. So this sets up the following verses in verses 10 to 17. In verses 10 to 17, you have laid out what has been called by many commentators the factions, the factions in the community. Let us go ahead and read verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no dissensions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brethren. What I mean is that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I am thankful that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanos. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Whew, some rich, rich verses. All right, from the exalted vision Paul has presented in his opening verses in the address, the salutation, and thanksgiving, he now begins to tell his listeners what this means in practice, huh? He will have many abuses to correct in this letter. For those of you who are familiar with this letter, you are well aware of this, of course. But chief among them is that of divisiveness disunity. Is this not the task of Satan to confuse, to divide and conquer, right? So he plunges into a subject matter with a cry of what urgency? I urge you, I urge you that all of you agree in what you say. Now, it's interesting here in this phrase, I urge you that all of you agree in what you say. The translation is literally to speak the same thing. It's really a classical Greek expression for peace or settling a dispute. So Paul's chief concern is for the unity of the local church. And could we not say that like our parishes today, we should take heed. One of the things that I see as I go from one parish to another, just not in this diocese, but surrounding diocese is is not that there's a lot of heresy. It's out there, people teaching against what the Catholic Church teaches, but it's more about the quarreling. It's more about the factions. It's more about the cliques of divisiveness. There is a reason why I talked about gossip yesterday, because as I highlighted yesterday, there are so few things that bring about a greater divisiveness in the church. The last place you'd think you'd see gossip is actually where sometimes it is the worst, Many of you right now are shaking your head. So what Paul wants us to see is that we need to root ourselves in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, bearing testimony to the person of Jesus Christ and his love, and ultimately overcome our quarreling, overcome our factions, our cliques, open ourselves up to the people around us. I mean, how many of us, male culpa, go to a parish and go to a certain group within that parish. And certainly having close friends at a parish is not a bad thing. And you tend to gravitate towards your closest friends. I get that. But as Christians and as Catholics, we are called to open ourselves up. 
we are called to invite people over, people we don't know. And that way, the body of Christ can expand from within and as such, overcome those factions that tend to divide. And remember what I said yesterday. If there's a problem within your local parish, if there's something going on that needs to be resolved, then resolve it. Do so in discernment, but let your discernment be one that is active, one that is praying, moving towards a resolution. Because if it's not, then what was once a small faction or a small clique is now something that has gotten to be far too big for you to handle. So Paul's message to the church of Corinth 2,000 years ago is one that we need to heed today for sure. So in the end, we are made to see that the divisions that Paul is concerned about, at least here, certainly speaks about the the divisions that come about from uh, doctrine elsewhere. But here, the divisions are not over doctrine, but personalities. First of all, Paul blasts those who claim him as their hero. Are we putting the person who has brought us to Jesus Christ above and beyond Jesus Christ himself? I think we have this tendency to do that. And I don't know if we do this necessarily intentionally, but we just put a lot of stock and and a lot of weight to those who bring us to the person of Jesus Christ. If the messenger of Jesus Christ is held above Jesus Christ himself while you have a problem. And so maybe we have to ask that question today as well. Are we putting the person who has brought us to Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ? And it can be really subtle. Maybe we're spending too much time listening to the person that has brought us to Jesus Christ on a podcast. Or maybe we're just spending too much time reading a particular author. Maybe we just spend too much time just being around that person. And we don't actually develop and build up our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We should ask ourselves a question that acts like a barometer, like a measuring stick. Am I putting this person or that person above and beyond the person of Jesus Christ? And if that's the case, well, you know what you need to do about it. Go back in prayer and make sure that you are building up your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't abandon that person who has brought you closer to Jesus Christ. There's a reason why that person has been brought into your life. And I have to imagine that whoever that person is, you ought to continue to build up that friendship and that relationship. But let it always be one of mediation, one who brings you to Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time We will just pick up where we left off here, which is what, verse 12. So we'll just pick up with verse 12 tomorrow. In the meantime, remember, don't forget to send me your uh, questions about what you want me to talk about on Thursday. I will announce tomorrow what I will talk about. It doesn't have to be reduced to an apologetic question. I know most of the questions I receive are about apologetics, but it can be about anything. It can be about Pope Francis. It can even be about what's going on in today's politics. Um, I'm always going to root that discussion in the principle of truth, and be assured. But whatever you want to talk about, uh, don't hesitate to send me your question. All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for another evening. Another evening that you have given us to reflect into the inspired Word of God, where you make yourself present to us. We pray as always in your most holy and precious name. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.